The Money Cafe is proudly brought to you by InvestSmart's professionally managed accounts. Diversified portfolios of ETFs with a capped fee. T's and C's apply. Find out more at investsmart.com.au. Hello, I'm Alan Cole, a founder of Eureka Report, finance presenter on ABC News and a columnist for The New Daily. And I'm Stephen Main, contributor at Eureka Report, founder of Crikey, shareholder, advocate and City of Manningham councillor. And we are The Money Cafe. In 2024. Happy New Year, Stephen. Happy New Year, Alan. Good to see you. What you sort had of a nice sw- summer break. What did you do? I had, a f- I had another grandchild. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, you are an old num- man, aren't you? Number five. God, I was going to ask you what's it like being over 70 and trying to get back into the swing of things in January after a summer break. Does it get any harder? Uh, look, my body's over 70, but my mind brain is, is my brain better is, than ever. is 40 or yes. 30, I don't Five know. Five grandchildren. Is, is, I won't say is that hit, but uh, what's the age range there? Uh, six to one week. Five in six years. That's good. It's... Uh, and, uh, it's good to have be, clustered grandchildren. I'm expecting to max out at six. Um... But, uh, Jeez, I don't know if you can talk like that, can you? Predicting? Uh, no, well, look, uh, that's my expectation. It might, it might end up being seven. Who knows? But um, uh, <laughs> that's not up to you. It's not up to me. That's right. But uh, the latest one, little Leonard, is uh, wonderful. Very good. What's your gender mix? Uh, three boys and th- two girls. Oh, good diversity. Very good. Mm. And what uh, about, uh, did you go to the Boxing Day cricket or the tennis or did you play some golf? What else? Did you go to the beach house? What did you do? None of the above. You've just been a hard-working granddad. Well, I've been renovating the beach house, so, ah. so I've uh, been working on that. That's working. Been, that's been busy. But, uh, yeah, look, it's, uh, there's plenty going on. I just want to talk, touch briefly on Australia Day because of the argument about changing the date. And um, uh, I just want to say that... Um, I think the, the change the date discussion is interesting and all that, but it's never going to happen. So I think it might be better to talk about something that could happen, which is Noel Pearson's suggestion expressed in a, a piece in The Australian in 2018 that we should, should turn it into two days. Yeah. January 25 is for Australia's Indigenous people. Mm-hmm. January 26 is for... The white Australia. So he he proposed That's making a, a two two day festival, um, and focusing twenty January twenty five on the people who were who had the place, yep. who uh, who possessed the place before January twenty sixth. And I think it's a great idea. And I don't know why that um, that idea sank. Uh, Simply because been, it it might get public holiday confusing if it's all midweek. Is it an extra day off? Some Not necessarily. Gets no, into no, the industrial just, relations system and we just public leave holidays. The, we could leave the holiday where it is, I guess. I mean, sure, make it two days holiday, but probably not. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think that that would in a, that would tend to that look. That's a possible solution. It's I think not, it's not a bad. It's, it's I, something I, that I, I can like actually it. happen rather than all this discussion about changing the date, which is yeah. not going to happen. You know, because if you do sort of change the date, there'll be forever protests on the day yeah. for people who object to it. So I, but no, I, I but I don't think any government, no government's going to do it anyway. Yeah. Well, look, I think it's going. Like we're we're a mini government at Manningham. We're having a citizenship ceremony tomorrow. 
Um, I would have voted to, to not if it had come to it, but we've got four Liberals out of nine on our council, so we've got a majority who are more on the traditionalist side. But that's just a little... Not having a citizenship process isn't changing the date. That's just not having a citizenship Yeah, correct, because we, 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 do, we, do, we do 20 a year and you can choose when you have them. So sure. we have them so like every third Monday night, we'll have one, but we, we have traditionally done one on Australia Day because... So councils not having citizenship ceremonies on January 26th is nothing, Well, that's really. a growing number. It used to be mandatory and ScoMo used to, you know, threaten at councils that didn't get the... Pro- now yeah. Labor's left it up to them and there's about 100 that don't do it anymore and I think that'll grow every year. Anyway, enough of politics. You've got a new chairman. One of your mates has become the chairman of the ABC. You must uh, be happy to have a, a, a powerful fella on the inside to watch your back. Kim Williams? Uh Look, I wouldn't call him a mate. I really do you, do like. Do you have his mobile number? That's always the measure of a mate. Do you have the person's mobile number? Do you have you communicated with him? Do you have his number? I have his mobile number, and I sent him a text yesterday. So, uh, uh, and I've spoken to him many times. But look, that's not doesn't mean we're mates. It's just that um, you know. Look, I really like him. I think he's a perfect chairman for the ABC. I think he'll be great, and um, I'm delighted. As I said to him in my text. I'm delighted to be working for him again. So when you say working for him again, is a little bit of history here. Was he the CEO of News Corp when you, News Corp bought your business for a pretty penny? Yes. He, oh. he it was who I dealt with. 30.5 million, I think. Was no, 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 the, no, 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 no. Was it 31.5? John Wiley 30. once told me often said it's 30.5. Don't forget the 0. 0.5. But uh, no, oh, I've got that wrong. Okay, I've forgotten the You've if, forgotten your own I, number. I would believe John Wiley. Uh, yeah, absolutely. but it had to be stressed you were a minority shareholder, so people should not get the impression that News Corp gave you $30 million under Kim Williams. But, well, I don't uh, think I'd be sitting here if I had 30 No, you're still bucks. working, you poor thing, because you gave too much of your business away when you set it up, didn't you? I did. Anyway. Anyway, exactly. But uh, Kim Williams wanted to shut down competitors, put his business behind a paywall, so they had to take Business Spectator out of the game and they paid a big price to get you out of the game and into their tent. Correct. <laughs> uh, anyway, anyway he's, a, he's a great man. I've, uh, he, I, I can't think of anyone else with the possible exception of David Gonski who has been the chair or CEO of 10 different entities over the year from Film Finance to Southern Star to... Fox Studios to Foxtel to um, uh, Sydney Chamber Orchestra. He's just run so many gigs. Music of Eva. He's, as Albo said, he's the ultimate renaissance man. He's a tough corporate guy and he's the perfect chairman to stabilise the ABC. Absolutely. I think he's – I agree with you. I think he's perfect. Yes. Can we just deal briefly with the Stage 3 tax cuts, which are the, the week's big story? Now, I had, a piece in the, I had a piece in the New Daily this morning, which I'm sure you've read – uh, he says, not, not anyway, um, uh, in which I revealed that really the, the, the stage three tax cuts were really all about removing the 37% and 32.5% tax scales so that 85% of the country would be on 30%. Now, this uh, idea was designed by, or the, the stage three tax cuts were designed by uh, Marianne Markovic, who was the head of revenue division and treasury at the time. It was not designed by Josh Frydenberg or Scott Morrison. She designed it for the purpose of uh, um, uh, combating tax avoidance because, in her view, too many tradies... But I should say... They're incorporating. She never, she's never spoken publicly about this, but, but as I understand it, the purpose of the Stage 3 tax cuts was to try to prevent tradies from co- incorporating. Yeah. So they paid 
at what at the time was 26% tax. Yep. Which was for small businesses. Yep. Now it's 25%. Yeah. And um, instead of the 37% that they were going to pay, right? So she thought she wasn't going to get through an increase in the co- company tax rate through the coalition. So she proposed bringing the 37% back to 30. Good policy. It makes perfect sense. Well, it, it, it does in that sense. However, a flat tax is a bad idea. I agree with, personally, I agree with Albanese uh, keeping the 37% and the 32.5%. I think that's correct. And that all that should should happen, which is what's happened now, is that the point at which they cut in has been increased yeah. to take, a, to take um, a bracket creep. Yeah. into account. Yeah. Well, look, we've disagreed on this before. There's nothing worse than continuing to defend a position which has been junked. So I'm not going to die in a ditch saying it's a mistake. I'm just a big believer in political integrity and keeping your promises and sovereign risk and all those sort of issues. And I also believe that with the booming iron ore prices and the fact that the budget has had unforeseen revenues, they could have kept their word and delivered more benefit to the middle class I don't and, think, um, and they could have printed more money. They didn't need to break this promise to provide work of li- work cost of living relief and that's why I think it's particularly disappointing. Uh, I don't think stupid promises should be kept, Stephen. Well, given bracket creep and the fact that we're a high tax country already ripping $320 billion a year out of in- ordinary working people, that it was a stupid promise to hand back bracket creep. To the top end, and when you've got a, you've got tradies paying 25% company tax, as you said, and 40, 48 and a half, including the Medicare levy at the top end. Where's the incentive to work? And people are just going to use super negative gearing and, and company tax rates to dodge the tap, top tax rate anyway. There you go. So in this morning's just to conclude this discussion, <laughs> in my piece this morning, I actually calculated uh, what all the tax scales would be if. They had been indexed from 2018 instead of stage three tax cuts being introduced. If they just simply done away with bracket creep since 2018, and the answer is, uh, I've got I've got them all there in the piece. But what? And I then asked Stephen Smith of Deloitte to calculate what the revenue would be if those were the tax scales now, and uh, the answer is uh, 10 billion less than the revenue currently is. So tax indexation since 2018 would have cost $10 billion by now. After this pack, no, before this package of yeah, yeah, and that, changes. But this package, yes. this package is... Just redistributes, it's revenue. $20 billion, right? Yeah. So, so the difference between $20 billion and $10 billion, which was the tax indexation, is accounted for by the removal of the 37% and 32.5%. So anyway... Just uh, just saying all that. Now, before we get to questions, just on the AGM front, I want to give a shout-out to the pokies giant Aristocrat Leisure who have got with the program and committed to a hybrid AGM in Sydney on February 21, so they've saved me a flight to Sydney. I'm not running for their board this year because I only got 0.3% last year, which was my lowest ever in 56, but at least they are opening themselves up to online questions. But I, thought, I think 0.3% was pretty good well, considering, worst ever, considering it's aristocrat leisure. I mean, yeah, you know, just a really. lazy 20 odd billion votes against, mate. Just, you know, just the usual. But uh, on the AGM front, you know, it's more of the same for 2024. I had my first AGM this morning, Fleet Partners. But, uh, hang on, before we move on, uh, uh, Aristocrat Leisure is not a nice company still. I mean, now, is it? It's, no. I mean, we don't like, we don't no, like no, Aristocrat Leisure. The They're still an for, evil the company, are they not? $43. They're in the top 20 and they've been one of the best performed markets and they're one of the few global Australian success stories. But apart from that, they do a lot of damage, yeah. That's right. So we don't like them. 
We don't like them. They're evil. They've done incredibly well. Come on. Yeah, but at least I'm going to be able to lob questions at them from Manningham rather than getting on a flight. So thank you to Neil Chatfield for getting with the program. And I went to the Fleet Partners AGM this morning, first one of the year. Hybrid AGM, 9 o'clock, market cap 770 million. I was the only one asking questions. A one-hour AGM just with me and them. Where are the other 4,999 shareholders? Shareholders of Australia, yeah, but wake up and participate. They're not pests like you are. And another a, come on, you're just a pest story David. of non-participation. Okay, so, so Sigma Healthcare. How many just, questions did you ask? I asked them? my usual six, and then I that was it. So it was fine, but it would have been no, it would have been a no questions AGM, no, but for me. I think it's fantastic, Stephen. I, I don't. I take that back. The but pest. Here the pest, is the tragic that story. Pest comment. I take it back. You're here a, is the you're tragic a great story man. of non-participation by retail shareholders. Sigma Sigma Healthcare, which is doing the backdoor listing with Chemist Warehouse, they had a two hundred and twenty-three million dollar retail offer, which was non-renounceable, and they only let retail shareholders apply for extra shares of twenty-five percent of their entitlement. So this was designed to create a shortfall. Sure enough, $90 million worth of, uh, of 99 million shares worth 63 million was lapsed, even though the offer was at 70 cents and the shares are at 97 cents. So the lucky underwriters, Macquarie and friends, have made a paper profit today of $26 million of money left on the table by the 8,000 of 12,000 retail shareholders in Sigma Healthcare who did not participate. This is the tragedy of Australia. The people who get ripped off is the is the retail shareholder who is asleep at the wheel, on holiday, not opening the mail, poorly served by an advisor, and doesn't do anything. And that's why capital raisings must be renounceable. There should have been an auction of the shortfall with the competitive bids to the highest bidder, and then all those 8,000 non-participants receiving $26 million of compensation. Instead, $26 million has gone to the big end of town, Macquarie and friends, and retail shareholders have been shafted and diluted without compensation yet again. Well, I'm sure everyone can hear the passion in Stephen Main's and if they hadn't Voice there. blocked overs at 25% of entitlement, I would have asked for 50000 bucks worth of shares and received a windfall gain. But instead they've said, we don't want the other retail shareholders to get it. We're going to leave it for the underwriters in the big end of town. So my self-interest is also reflected in the anger here, Alan. Anyway, we should get on with some questions. Before we go to questions, let's just hear from our sponsor. InvestSmart's professionally managed accounts is a digital wealth platform with diversified investment portfolios overseen by Australia's most trusted finance experts, including Paul Clitheroe, Effie Zahos, and the Money Cafe's Alan Kohler. Join thousands of Australians growing their wealth through InvestSmart's managed portfolios. Check out investsmart.com.au for more information. Nigel says, what do you think will happen to financial markets if Trump is re-elected and how should investors be preparing themselves for this possibility now? Um, well, uh, he's virtually a certainty to become the, well, he is a certainty to become the Republican nominee. No, 54% he got. Nikki Haley, two-horse race. Hang in there, Nikki. Anything happened in two-horse race. So he's likely, but Nikki Haley is going well. She's campaigning against why would you vote for two old farts? Let's move with the program. So go Nikki, vote for Nikki. But I agree, it's likely. And anyway. So what's going to happen if he gets up? I don't think the markets will be worried, too worried about well, it. he's a Unless friend he, of the markets, isn't he? He's a Wall Street guy. Unless yeah. the chaos 
I mean, there'll be chaos, obviously. The question is how Global bad it will. Chaos, yeah. I mean, it's really just a question of how bad is the chaos because yeah. at some point it gets so bad that the markets do get start to get yeah. worried. Well, the but biggest worry is Ukraine, World War Three. you know, that, that sort of global instability no, worry. No, I'm, I'm actually talking about administrative chaos in Washington because... He's apparently going to sack everyone and you yeah, know, put his that, own put that, his own loyalists in charge yeah, everywhere. There isn't two. There isn't and ten thousand loyalists who can actually run a government. So no, he'll well, have to work with the them up. I reckon he's going to put a whole lot of people in who don't know what they're doing oh, course, to run yeah. the country, and yeah. and the place will go to bits. Yeah, yeah. But th- you know, I must admit, I put up 50, mo- 50 motions when I was a city of Melbourne councillor, and the only one that didn't get up was this one was that City of Melbourne resolves to write to the 20 largest US companies excluding tobacco, munitions and gambling and request and offer them to relocate to the City of Melbourne if Americans are stupid enough to elect Donald Trump as president. And that defeated 10-1. It was said to be a frivolous, stupid motion for the City of Melbourne. Well, but come on, Stephen, I think it, it, it was. Let's, big it, tech on. will have the power to Faith. keep Trump on the straight and narrow. If he's a total disaster, corpus will leave. Yes, but I mean, they're not going to come to Melbourne, Steve. Well, that was a frivolous. It was a frivolous, uh, but it a was frivolous highlighting that flighty come capital, on. flighty capital can have power. And if Apple and Microsoft say, "Hey, Trump, if you do this, we're relocating to London," that has power. Anyway, you can do, Patrick. All right. So Patrick says, "I'm approaching preservation age for my super, and was wondering what are the benefits of selling shares and transferring this money into super as non-concessional contributions." Well, you got to watch it, Patrick. Depends on, <laughs> depends on your tax rate. That's right. And how much you got there. And, and you There's know. so many variables, Patrick. It's hard. I would simply say do not sell long-held profitable shares like CSL, Macquarie, Cochlear, Woolworths and trigger yourself an unnecessary capital gain on the sale of the shares. If you're on a high top marginal tax rate, then that's when you want to max out your super. You want to put as much as you can into super at 15% rather than paying 47 yeah. top rate. So yeah, but what, what you don't want to do is, because you can't just transfer them without selling them. Correct. There's going to have to be a, a, a capital gains tax event. Yes. Yes. And, and so I would say, you know, just keep your shares. And if you've got a bit of extra cash you can put in from your, from your salary, well, do that. But it also depends if you've got more than 1.7, you know, all that sort of stuff as well. So... Omar says, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on including bonds in an investment portfolio for 2024 and what percentage of the portfolio it should be. Also, what do you think about the Vanguard fixed interest ETF code VAF? Well, what, bonds should be, what, 20, 30% of a typical portfolio? That's what a typical super fund will do? A professional one. I mean, look, it depends on... People put bonds into their portfolio to manage the volatility. The question is, how concerned are you about volatility? Professional yeah. fund managers, super funds, need to watch their volatility because they're in the, they're in business yeah. and they don't want to lose customers. Yeah. So they so they buy bonds to and, and bonds to are really about capital out. capital preservation. You but will you get a hundred cents back in the dollar from your bond, whereas your shares can go to zero. That's that's the they're less volatile, well, that's, that's more true. capital preserved. Yeah, that's true. But I just yeah. think that for an individual investor should. Uh, think about every single investment they make and not just go, oh, yeah, well, we do this percent in that and this percent in that and so on. You've got to think about what, uh, which bonds are you going to buy? Why would you buy them? Is the yield okay? You know, what, what, uh, uh, what's the credit risk on the bonds and so on? I mean, this yeah. is, you've got to think about every single yeah. investment and that's why, you make. I mean, he, he mentioned the, the Vanguard 
flagship bond fund, VAF. Now, that has fallen from $53 to $45 over the past four years, and that's because official interest rates have surged. And so the the, fate, the, the, the trading value of the bond has fallen because uh, the government yield benchmark pricing has gone up. So you just remember that bonds can give you capital losses, and that's why I prefer floating rate bonds like bank hybrids where when the Reserve Bank sticks up rates, your yield goes up too and they tend to be less yes, volatile. Totally. So go, go for a bond with a floating price linked to the official rate, I would say. Stacey says, one of Alan Cole's money tips published recently on the investment share website was, if you're investing in shares, expect volatility and low returns. I would like to find out more about this, what he means. What do you mean? He says, I would, as I would like to invest more in shares this year, uh, I guess I would like to know if it's wise to invest in shares, particularly BHP and NAB, this this new year. What do you reckon, uh, Stephen? Well, before I get I into mean, what before I meant. getting into individual stock tips, you know, BHP or NAB, I would go the the ETF or the listed investment company like an Affic or an Argo, rather than going, yeah, BHP is good, NAB's NAB's good. I mean, look, they're big companies; are not going to go broke. But if the iron ore price craters, I mean, BHP is going to drop from forty-seven to thirty. Yeah, you know. So, so my, my uh, comment that uh, expect volatility and low returns was based firstly on the fact that sh- share prices are fairly high. Uh, Record this, highs at the moment, yeah. Well, yeah, the local market's not quite. Well, Microsoft cracked three trillion well, US, market cap. Big tech. No, the US, US market. The US high. market is at record high. And we're close. It's unlikely that in that situation, it's less likely that they're going to keep going up at the same rate. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean they're going to go down necessarily, but it certainly means that the returns aren't necessarily going to be what they have been. And secondly, there's a lot of risks around at the moment. You know, we've just been talking about Trump. There's uh, the wars, there's mm. Israel and Gaza. There's there's so many, so yeah. much stuff going I, on. I agree. I think there, there's a risk on the. It's not going to go up much from here. So my dear old mum, I'm I'm encouraging her to put a few sell orders on at the moment. So she's got a sell order on Macquarie at 189. You know, if it gets that high, so. I'm, you know, I would not be saying, hey, now's a t- great time to start investing in the share market. Wait for a 10% dip and then uh, buy, you know, buy on the lows. Jeff is a retired pharmacist with some Sigma shares and he's concerned that James and I last year were seemingly relaxed about supermarkets getting into the dispensing game. And he's basically saying you can't trust Woolies. They sell lots of uh, smokes and grog, and they used to be big on pokies. And uh, you know why are we also blasé about you know not protecting the local community pharmacists anymore? And I would simply say that um, look, it's a bit odd to ban anyone from selling something. Uh, Chemist Warehouse have, have totally driven a truck through those rules that are supposed to protect. The community pharmacists, they're just buying them all up. And um, and I don't know. I, I mean, do you think that we should continue to ban supermarkets from dispensing? I think possibly. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, yeah I mean, the Mar- America's, he says America's got an anything-goes system and their drug prices are higher, but I think that's because we subsidise our For drugs in Australia and we bulk buy. The government uses their buying power to bulk buy cheap drugs. Yeah. So I don't think it's the market structure that's leading to those high Look, prices I, I, in America. I must say, I don't, I don't think the system's broken and doesn't need to be fixed, to be honest. And we, I mean, we've got a supermarket duopoly basically in this country. We don't need, we don't need to give them more power. Uh, I, I, look, I accept that... It is the only thing they can't sell, though, isn't it, if you think about it? 
What? See, it is the only thing they can't sell. I mean, they're selling newspapers at the front of the supermarket now. Yeah. They're no longer you know, exclusively with news no, agents. That's right. So, well, so why yeah, should there be? Nobody's you know, they, buying them. They anymore, totally so destroyed matter. the petrol market for a while with their shopper dockets and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. it is odd to have that. No, but let's leave it as it is. Come on. Yeah, yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, I think you're probably right with that. Uh, Steve says. Um, uh, in general, it doesn't make sense to direct the majority of one's investment resources to the primary place of residence because of zero capital gains tax. Uh, and he goes on, but, but really, and he t- yeah, I mean, your view would be, Stephen, that dot, dot, dot. Well, I'm simply saying that he's saying, you know, continually upsize or, you know, move into a bigger house because, you know, you'll it's, it's tax-free when you sell. But, you know, there's lots of transaction costs when you sell your house. I mean, stamp duty is, is ridiculously high in most states. And if you have a massive house, if you've got $5 million in a house, that's not generating you any income. That is a lazy asset where your total yield is when you sell it one day or give it to your kids and they sell it. So I would, you know, yes, have the benefit of tax-free one of my homes, neighbors, but also go into super and other stuff. One, one of my neighbours moves all the time and upgrades. and it's no using- longer a neighbour. Hey? No longer a neighbour because they've moved. One of your former neighbours. Well, that was interesting you say that because he's he's built this bloody Taj Mahal up the road, which is from his you know gains from his capital gains tax free gains from uh, you know moving yeah. constantly, there's, there's, and uh, he's been trying to sell it and he doesn't seem to be able to. Well, if you are a competent tradie, there's a very there's thousands and thousands of competent tradies who are in the business of buy a, a knockdown job, fix it up, live in it for twelve months, sell it off capital gains tax free. I know a number of blokes who do that. Um, and that's actually a viable business model in the tax system of Australia if you're competent at adding value to property. But equally, you hear stories of horror renovations, blowouts, you know. So these things are not easy. And stick to can your we, skills. Can we jump to deep throat? Yeah, let's do deep throat. Another bank. We get, we get all these banking deep throats who are dobbing in the big four. So what is deep throat saying? He says that um, uh, the problem is uh, broker commissions. The brokers, mortgage brokers, which are uh, how most of the big banks are selling their mortgages these days, are uh, uh, trying to maximise their commissions and trailer income uh, by having, uh, you know, pushing big loans down everyone's throat. And I think that's very interesting. I mean, he, he, he says the question is, have brokers... Uh, contributed to the RBA having to increase rates higher than if applicants just borrowed what they needed. Um, uh, No, I don't think that, but I do think that they've probably contributed to house prices going up because people have been borrowed more than they would otherwise have borrowed. Yeah, so he's saying that that people have maxed out their borrowing for a property purchase and loaded up in the offset account because the broker has an incentive to maximise their commission, upfront commission and trailing commission based on size of loan. And therefore, he's also arguing deep throat that the so-called mortgage cliff has not destroyed the economy and household balance sheets uh, and spending levels to the extent expected because people had this buffer sitting in their offset account and have been able to maintain their living standards by drawing into the offset, still spending up and paying the higher interest rates. And this is why he's saying that the RBA has had to keep on lifting rates even more because there's shock therapies not having an impact that it was expected to have. Now, that's an interesting point. 
That's an interesting point. Yeah, and it's the old Warren Buffett quote, show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome. Of course brokers are going to, to do that. Now, I want to finish off with um, our final question from Lachlan, who is trying to get back into the migration housing prices debate. And he's having a crack at me saying that, that I'm saying we can live like Haitians because we've got so much land. And then he's quoting me back, I don't even remember saying this, quoting me back saying that that no kid is going to, ha- you know, that every kid has to have their own bedroom and kids can't share bedrooms. Did and, you say that? Well, I'm, I'm not sure I did, but he's basically saying... Do you saying, think that? I think every kid should have their own bedroom after they're about three. But what I'm saying, he's saying that there's not enough five-bedroom houses within 20 k's of the CBD to cope with all this migration. And I'm saying, well... The average fam- family is now 1.5 kids. You don't need all these five-bedroom houses. And that we can accommodate hundreds of thousands of migrants a year if we concentrate new housing along transport routes within the inner city and near activity centres and we do more apartments and townhouses. And I made the point that Melbourne has got 200 hectares of spare inner-city industrial land, Fishman's Bend, Docklands, Egate, West Melbourne, Arden Macaulay. We could take a million people into that. And a couple of stats I've got just to shut up, Lachlan, is that Macau has 690,000 permanent residents and is the same size as Phillip Island, about 100 square metres, and Phillip Island has 7,000 permanent residents. And my two brothers-in-law windsurfed from Phillip Island to French Island these holidays. French Island is sitting there in the middle of Western Port Bay. It's got no people living there. It's basically empty. It's it's half the size of Gaza. So Gaza has got 2.1 million residents on 340 square kilometres. French Island is basically empty with 170 square kilometres. It's 70% bigger than Phillip Island and it's completely accessible. So... If we think Australia's got no land, put a million people on French Island where Kylie Minogue once bought a house to get away from the paparazzis and stop saying, we've got no space, we can't afford it, we are the most selfish country in the world and we should have 100 million people here. Yes. What do you reckon, Al? <laughs> well, I've already turned off the immigration tap, well, so that, that has slowed down immigration because Albo's turned the tap down there. Yeah, that's right. So, but I, and I do think, I agree with you, that there certainly is space to build more housing uh, close to the city, that's true. Yes, yes. Uh, I also think that... Above uh, train stations, all that sort of stuff. I also think that it's a bit rough that all the children have their own bedrooms, but the parents who actually bought the house have to share a bedroom. Well, do there are lots of couples that, you know, live in separate rooms these days, don't yeah, we? But, but, you know... Well, that's an interesting one. So um, you're saying <laughs> poor old couples have to sleep together and they well, should be given the luxury of their own the bedroom. Only, the only people sharing a bedroom these days are those who paid for the house, which... <laughs> I think it's a bit rough. <laughs> Come on, mate. Us old white guys, we're the privileged lucky ones. Our kids are going to struggle to buy and, you know, so. But I think it's an interesting point you make. And um, anyway. couples should have t- a bedroom each, you reckon. Well, if they want. If they want. Well, I mean, yeah, so know. kick the kids out of one, make them share, and you get one each. Exactly. Yes. More power, to the, more power to the parents. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Money Cafe. Uh, thanks to Greg. As usual, for our, our wonderful producer. Superman. I'll be back next week with James Thompson. Send in your questions and we'll answer them together by emailing themoneycafe at eurekareport.com.au. So until next week, I'm Alan Kohler, founder of Eureka Report, etc. And I'm Stephen Main, contributor at Eureka, founder of Crikey, shareholder advocate, and for six more months, a City of Manningham councillor. <laughs>